Welcome to Future Work, the podcast where we bring you practical tips and insights on the ever-evolving landscape of work. Join us as we explore the trends, innovations, and challenges shaping the way we work today and tomorrow. All right, everyone, welcome back to Future Work. And today we're interviewing Mark Birch, who is the founder of the Enterprise Sales Forum and an expert on community building. He is also the global startup advocate at Amazon Web Services. And while he's normally based in New York, and I saw his last update from Miami, he is now in Barcelona joining us where it's 6 a.m. Mark has been involved in community building for over a decade, which he wrote about in a book called Community in a Box, How to Build Event-Driven Professional Communities, based on his experience at Enterprise Sales Forum, which gathered over 30,000 members globally. He's a tech founder, a software developer, and today he's here with us as a guest. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. So glad to be here on the podcast. Great to be here. And uh, Mark, just to set the context for the audience, you're very passionate about community. I read your book, Community in a Box, with great appreciation for everything that you've learned along the way and that you're sharing with your community. Why is community so important and what can managers and leaders learn from what you've learned about building a community in their team? The thing about community that I've always found interesting is that when you assemble a group of people that are committed to a goal, have these similar interests and values, you can do amazing things, right? It's that whole adage about if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go for a very long time, you go as a team. And that, in essence, is the community dynamic is all about going together as this wonderful collection of humanity to do amazing things in this world for the better. And I think that's something that's incredibly inspirational as you think about the challenges of creating this thing that we call a company, this corporate entity. We just think of it, them as work units, right? The old philosophies of the manufacturing line and you have hourly workers and they're on some assembly line churning out units of some sort of product. And in our modern day and age, especially around this whole arena of knowledge work, you have to really rethink what it means to manage people. These aren't just work units on an hourly basis. Hmm. They're creatives. They're creators. Hmm. And so when I think about the dynamics of a community, the thing that I've spent the better part of a decade talking about and thinking about and evangelizing about, many of those same dynamics of a community also work in the context of the organization, the corporate entity, and how managers should potentially orient themselves in this new day and age to Think about how they manage their teams, whether they're an in-person team, whether it's hybrid, whether they're distributed, because all the core things you think about from a community standpoint are also incredibly relevant. For example, how do you think about engaging your employees? How do you enable them and give them the agency to explore and be involved in the way that they feel they could be best utilized and add value to this corpus of humanity that's coming together. Hmm. Because ultimately, what is that company entity doing? 
you know, I talk to a lot of startups in my role as a global startup advocate at AWS. And many founders will ask me, well, how do I organize this whole entity that I've created, this thing where I've hired a whole bunch of people and they're all kind of doing these all different things and I feel like I'm not in control and I have to walk them back and say, well, what did you think about in terms of the culture? Hmm. What are the values of your organization? Are these collection of human beings aligned to a purpose? Do they know why they've joined your startup and how their work applies to the greater whole of this organization? Hmm. And then many Hmm. founders will come back to me and say, yeah, I don't really believe in this whole culture stuff. It's it's just all this wishy-washy stuff. I have to stop them. I have to pause them midstream saying, no, that's very real thing. The best companies in the world have values that center the organization in terms of some very discrete things you do from hiring to the work you do, to how you manage meetings, to how you engage external audiences like your customers, partners, investors, how you think about promotion cycles. All of these things are built on this core bedrock called culture. Yeah. And that's exactly what the center of any community is all about. It's ultimately culture. Yeah. And something really interesting there in the beginning of your answer about how companies are just an entity, right? And, you know, what is a corporate entity? Why would I, as a person, feel connected to a company at all? Um, And often a manager plays a really important role there, right? Sometimes I join a company, maybe a little bit for the company, but mostly for the person I'm going to be working with directly. And so for that person to tie me closer and closer to them and to what they and the company are doing, that's where a lot of these community principles come in. And it has a lot to do with culture. In the book, you defined community as people who have shared interests and shared value. And you just talked a little bit about recruiting you know, what can any manager or what can leadership do to make sure you get the right people in so that you can form community? Or is there another way to think about it at all? I think about the element of bringing someone on board, enabling them to do their best work in the context of how does one understand how they participate and how they're involved is integrated into all of the body of work that happens within this entity. So that means you have to think very intentionally about Mm. how you put together the pieces of what will eventually be your culture that enable you to define what it means to be part of this organization, this group of people doing some bit of work. And this is not the vision. That's something that's definitely can be tied together, but it's wholly different. That's the North Star. You know, in the community sense, that's why you want to define the why of your organization. Like, what is the impact you're making in the world? But values get to what is the core DNA of this group of people, Mm. this organization, this company, this community. And that's why it's so important to establish those early on so that anyone who comes on board has a language, has a structure, Mm. has an understanding as they enter this organization about how you engage with each other to do your best work and together to do their best work. And so how do you make that real in an organization? 
Well, I could take the example of Amazon AWS because we have these things that we call leadership principles. We have 16 of them, and they define many of the ways that we go about doing things. They are embedded in our hiring process. We have this thing called a loop, five interviews for a candidate that we've vetted, phone screened. And once we say this is an interesting candidate, we want to learn more, we bring them in for this loop. And each of those five interviewers is given a couple of the leadership principles Hmm. to ask questions about, to dive deep and to understand if those are values that align to who this candidate is Hmm. and how they work. And then those same leadership principles are also applied when we do our own internal work. So those principles are part of our writing culture. So when we write narratives about work that we want to do in the future, we embed some of those leadership principles into those documents as our tenants and Mm. the core DNA of what we're going to do with any sort of project, program, or service that we create. These leadership principles are also applied to how we promote people. They're also a language that we often use in our meetings, in our outward conversations with customers and partners, and out to Wall Street, our investors. Because you will often see those very same leadership principles embedded in our annual shareholder letter by our CEO. So they are infused in everything we do, and that's how we become this group of people called Amazonians, and how we identify with that and map our own kind of internal values to the values of this organization. Yeah, I can definitely attest to the fact that uh, the leadership principles are very much in the DNA of every person I talk to at Amazon. Um, We also attended a really great session with Colin Breyer just a few months ago. Um, And he talked about, you know, of course, the book Working Backwards, which kind of details about, you know, how these principles were built and how they're executed. But also, you know, how you really make it part of the daily work life at Amazon. And uh, it's just interesting that every single time I meet someone from Amazon, it's very front and center and it's definitely part of the verbiage. Was it hard for you to learn the principles? For me, it wasn't all that difficult for me to gel with our leadership principles. Funny enough, because of the interview process, it makes you think a lot about those leadership principles. In fact, and this is anyone who may consider a role at Amazon, when you go for that interview, the loop, it's really important to think about what are the stories of your own career Mm. that help to demonstrate those leadership principles in action in your own work. And so I took a good amount of time to write a story for each one of those 14 leadership principles. Now we have 16. By the time it was 14 when I got hired. So I wrote a story about each one of those. And using this thing called the STAR technique, situation, task, action, and and result. result. Yes. Yeah. It is 6 a.m. in Barcelona, by the way. So my mind may not be as agile as it is during the totally daytime. But using that STAR technique, the situation, task, action, and result, you're, I was able to very clearly demonstrate what I did had results that demonstrated a leadership principle. I did those for every one of them. I also wrote one where I didn't actually get a positive result, but wanted to show what I learned in that process. And by having those two stories, the positive story and the anti-story, 
I was very well prepared when I went into that interview process. Why? Because all of those interviewers on the Amazon side, they are looking for signs of demonstrable leadership principles in action in your own work. And so when I came on board to AWS, I already knew the leadership principles pretty well in my mind. It was embedded. But also what I learned in that process is that a lot of what I've done also maps quite well to how Amazonians work and think. Mm. And so for me, going in the door, I didn't feel it was so weird or foreign to me. You know, we call our culture this peculiar culture. For me, I said, well, no, that's just how I've worked from, <laughs> from the very beginning of my career. Perfect. I love it. So there's something really interesting here because basically what you're saying is that the culture that Amazon has very purposefully built is attracting a certain community, including yourself, that feels that they belong in that place, right? So they set a very clear culture of this is who we are and this is how we do things and therefore people like you feel like this is where I belong, this is where I fit in. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes kind of a, a flywheel for creating a stronger and stronger community. And hopefully it will help with some of the pesky topics that we end up talking a lot about, which is employee engagement and employee retention. And hopefully it creates some stickiness, right? Because I think at the end of the day, you know, when we think about employee engagement, employee retention, we want to create a sticky product basically in, in what we do in running companies, which I think the best communities also do. But obviously, in the last two, three years, especially, a lot of things have changed, right? Where even previously at Amazon and many other companies, people would be sitting side by side in offices, they would be seeing each other a lot, they would build bonds, mm -hmm. just by virtue of being close together. Now we work in this very distributed world. So, you know, what does that mean for how to build community as a manager, how to make sure that people want to stick with their companies and their teams. Are there some principles that, you know, you've learned that can be applied to increase the engagement and retention in remote and hybrid models? Well, I was actually hired at Amazon at the beginning of the pandemic. So I think the work that Amazon has done to embed that culture across the organization was incredibly helpful because that gives you a structure by how you do your work, how you engage with other Amazonians, a language that you use. Hmm. And so from the get-go, Amazon, without knowing it, had in place the bedrock to use that foundation to enable anyone who came on board, no matter where you were in the world, to get plugged into how to do work at Amazon, how to be part of this hmm. this. Amazonian culture, this community of people anywhere in the world working from home, working alone, but still in a way not being alone because you had that commonality. And again, I use the language of community quite often here because you think about the context of a community, you have a whole bunch of people that aren't necessarily in one place but all aligned to doing this amazing work of community building and creating the value of this community and having events and building these one-on-one -on -one connections with a group of people that are not 
in the context of sitting in a building for eight, 10, 12 hours a day doing quote unquote work. Mm. You have to bring this group of people together, all as volunteers, volunteering to be participants in this thing to make it happen. And why does that happen? Because you have a vision, the why of the community, and you have these values and interests that are aligned where people want to take out a sliver of their time because this is not work. They are committing this sliver of time to this other entity because they have that alignment to the vision of doing this amazing work through a community, through that dynamic community with people that you trust because you have that alignment of interests and values. You can take that those same principles and put them in into a company and still the same thing. The only difference is now part of the incentive model has changed because now you're doing this work for pay. Mm. You're getting a salary. So it's a different system of rewards and recognition than from a community. Mm. But the same principles apply. You want to do great work in the context of a company. You're not going to get great work if you just have a group of people that you bring together just for the paycheck. You can get a paycheck in many other places. Why is getting a paycheck in this organization worth your time, energy, and commitment? It's because you have that alignment. One, to your manager, right? As you said earlier, you mentioned your initial engagement in an organization is with your manager and how you align with your manager and how you two work together and communicate, but also broadly with the entire organization. Yeah, and I think there's something so important in what you just mentioned that even though we pay people, that's not enough. We cannot just say, well, because I pay you, you have to do great work and you have to be emotionally committed and you have to love coming to work every day, right? The pay, <laughs> after a few months, we get used to it, right? We don't think about it anymore. It's just kind of like our baseline is now that every month we get transferred some money. And in your case, mm -hmm. you start vesting some stock options. But this idea that people get more out of work and need to get more out of work than just the paycheck is really important. And I think that idea of, you know, that's what the best communities do. They really galvanize people as volunteers first and maybe payment later, but you want to be a part of it. And I remember from Danny Meyer, who is the founder of Union Square Hospitality Group and Shake Shack and other famous F&B establishment, he wrote this really beautiful book called Setting the Table, How We Can Apply principles from hospitality into running businesses and he said that he treats his employees still as volunteers even though they get paid because they should want to show up and they should want to contribute and thinking about what you just said my last ceo whenever we were onboarding new people he started by thanking them for joining because even though we were giving them a job they could have gotten a job anywhere else especially if you want really good people they have choice. They can work somewhere else. They don't have to work for you. And so actually being grateful for them choosing you and then keeping that as sort of like a threat in how you engage with them is really important. So I really love that notion. It's a, a really great book. Been a fan of Danny Meyer's restaurants for many years in New York City, where I'm from. But what I've always thought was even more interesting is his philosophy and the things that he is embedded into the organization to, to give his employees so much agency hmm. and ownership in their own careers and how he truly understands that dynamic 
because there's a little bit of a, a spectrum when you think about your individual contributions into any type of organization, whether it be a community, whether it be school, whether it be work. And the spectrum has on one end this orientation to take, and on the other end of the spectrum is orientation to give. And you have to have a balance of people that are going to take value and people that are going to give value. Hmm. And this is important, especially in the context of community, because in a community, you're not paying people. Maybe there's some level of payment or monetary rewards, but most part, by and large, a community is a group of people that are volunteering their time. And this is why it's so important as I think about folks that are starting communities or in my context, when I launched this enterprise sales forum with 30,000 people worldwide, well, I couldn't quote unquote manage all that. I needed people that would be chapter leaders in cities to bring these humans together for these in-person events every month. And one of the evaluation criteria that I would, I would use for bringing on a chapter leader is where are they on that spectrum hmm. of taking to giving? Because if they had more of a take mentality, they would use the forum for their own personal gain. And that would be their orientation. I needed people that wanted to be chapter leaders, that had the heart to give, that were oriented to spend the time because that time commitment was not insignificant. Yes, they would get rewards, but that couldn't be the the front-loading orientation of them engaging and wanting to be a participant and a leader in the enterprise sales forum. And the same context, you think about a company, Hmm. you have to have people that want to give a little and not necessarily have that orientation be towards, I get a paycheck. Because then you have a bunch of people that begrudgingly do the work because they're only focus is getting that paycheck. And you may say, oh, what does that matter? I mean, they're getting paid, they're going to do the work. Well, I've been engaged or have experienced organizations where everyone's more focused on their paycheck rather than doing great work. And you can viscerally feel the change in dynamic. You go to any sort of government agency, for example, and this is not, you know, true for all government agencies. I I don't want to necessarily offend those that are doing amazing work, but the typical government agency, you have a bunch of people there that are working for the paycheck, not necessarily there to give great service. So looping this back around to what Danny Meyer said in his book and how, how his employees at Union Square Hospitality operate, they operate with agency, with joy in their work, Hmm. with being able to express themselves and to give themselves wholly for the purposes of bringing joy to their customers, the diners that come in every afternoon and evening to his restaurants, not because they're getting a paycheck, but because internally their values align to the values of the organization. They see this vision and they themselves want to do great work. So they have this orientation to give. Right, exactly. And, and he famously said that this may sound odd, but I believe that you should put your customer second, which I know is very anti-Amazonian's uh, thinking. But he said, you know, in the virtuous cycle of enlightened hospitality, as he describes it, you need to put your customer second because the team always comes first, right? If the team isn't inspired, if the team isn't motivated, then your customer is not going to get a great experience. And I think, you know, as work evolves and as we see more trends towards gig economy and people who are taking up 
partial scopes of work, you mentioned agency or federal agency workers, government workers. I think about Lyft drivers or Uber drivers, right? Once you start bringing work down to the level of one unit of execution, you know, where is your personal value alignment, right? Where is your sense of, I want to be a part of this company because X, right? It becomes very transactional when you break it down to that level. So I think that's a really interesting notion. Another really big part, I believe, why we still show up for work in your case today, even at 6 a.m., is because of other people, right? We still want to be connected with other people. We don't want to just be an anonymous driver who gets the next task assigned. You know, that connection with other people in your team, even though there may be this common thread of the values of the sense of community in your team, it is now much more difficult than before when you either see each other only once or twice a week or in remote companies maybe only once or twice a year how do you keep people connected in this distributed world of work right we've tried hybrid events for example i saw you mention it in your book as well and that they just tend to be very awkward you know and very a very different experience for the people in the room versus the people who are joining externally how do we keep that sense of humanity at work when we're not always together yeah i do believe it's we still struggle with this trying to bring that sense of togetherness in an organization where you're going to have your colleagues in far-flung places and you may not see people when we've gone through this crazy experiment during covid of how do you effectively rally your team when you can't be in the same place. And, you know, I take some of the lessons from my time at Stack Overflow because at Stack Overflow, we were very much a remote-first company. Hmm. That's how we established ourselves from the very beginning. And what did that mean? It meant we still had offices. We had a lot of humans in New York. We had a lot of humans in London. We had a Denver office. So we definitely had an office culture. But what did we mean by remote-first? It meant that we didn't prioritize the work that was happening in a building with a group of us over that with people that were in a remote location because we had employees, developers that we hired all around the world, you know, in Brazil, Germany, Australia, all these different places. So the way that we would try to inspire and connect people together is we would have these regular video calls. And we'd all take the calls from our own individual locations. We didn't want to create this dynamic where the people in person had one kind of communication channel. And then there was a channel that was through you know, video planes on the screen. Because we felt that was a different dynamic. You had this dynamic which was happening in person with this group of people that you were never plugged into. You, you don't understand. You can't see the body language. You're not seeing the things on the side that the people in that room see. And so we just made a policy that everyone has to take these group calls from their own individual location. We also knew that it was important to bring people together. So we would have these quarterly meetings with the teams. And then at every, over the course of the year, we'd have our group meetup where we'd have the entire company together in one location so that we could make those connections. We also had like a few other tools in the toolkit. We had this thing that we called Stack Roulette, 
So a system that would randomly choose three people and you would, someone would be the lead to find time for the three of you to get together on a call, not to chat about work, but just to get to know each other. And that would help to break the natural orientation towards just focusing on your own individual team or group. So you can get an engineer, talk to a salesperson, talk to someone in HR. And it was really good in terms of bridging those gaps between different teams and departments and organization to just get a better understanding, to not only get an understanding of, okay, this is the work that you do, but this is who you are as a person, something that wouldn't necessarily happen otherwise. Companies that are born remote or that really take that remote first approach typically do it so much better than quote unquote traditional companies because from the beginning they have to think about, okay, we cannot rely on the office. We don't have that crutch of people being together by default. So we have to build everything with great intentionality. I think Stack Overflow, GitLab, there are so many great examples, automatic of these kind of companies that really from the beginning have to think so purposefully about how do we make sure that people stay connected. So those are some really great examples. And we're coming here towards the end of our time today. So I'll close with one question, which is if you could say only one thing to the world, only one thing, only one piece of advice or thought, what would it be? Again, with the orientation of community, you have to understand in your organization, people aren't work units. Mm. People come with their emotions, their desires, their intellect, knowledge, experiences. And it's our job as leaders of an organization to bring these incredible humans on board to enable them to do their best work. We got to get out of this mentality of the assembly line worker unit approach to what we think about work and engagement in a corporation. And I think this is a lot of the baggage that has come about through this idea of uh, scientific management. And I don't know if like, any of your listeners know folks like Frederick Wilson Taylor, kind of the godfather of this idea of you know, these work units and this idea that people are just there in work to get paid for their time. That is not the dynamic that we are seeing in this day and age. And I think it came to full force during COVID because people have choices hmm. in where they spend their time. And they're going to spend their time in places where they feel they can do their best work, where they're valued, where their work has some meaning in the broader context of the organization and its vision and mission out to the world. So as we, as we close this conversation, I just say, be very intentional about how you set those values, make them real. And understand you're bringing together a group of humans to do some amazing things, this great work to innovate, to help customers, to create, design, launch, deliver value in this world. So you've got to motivate them in a way that brings them into that great corpus of doing great work by enabling people to do their best work. And you can only do that if you have very well-defined values. So people know how to do their best work, hmm. how they connect to, that, to the organization, whether you are all in person, hybrid, remote. And we need to bring a lot more humanity into how do we engage and inspire people in an organization. I look at it from the community standpoint, because that's been my orientation. 
But many of those principles of community, I think, have helped even myself rethink and reshape how I think about this era of leadership and management in this new future of work paradigm that we're seeing right now and will continue to grow and expand over the next decade. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly why I was so excited to get you on the podcast. And I think there couldn't be a better note to end the recording with than a reminder that employees are human beings and that they should be engaged as such. And I think this is a very welcome antidote to this assembly line of thinking and this talk about performance management and making everything into numbers. So, Mark, you were a great guest. You had so many practical insights. Thank you so much for sharing them with us, even though it was 6 a.m. at your time. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to link the book in the show notes. Really highly re recommend everyone to read it, whether you're in community organization or you're a leader. These insights really are very practical. Uh, Mark, thank you so much again and have a great day there in Barcelona. Thank you, sir. It's been amazing. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you.